Hey, this is Rondé Barber, former Virginia Cavalier, now class of 2023 Pro Football Hall of Famer. You're listening to the Jerry Ratcliffe Show. Welcome to another edition of the Jerry Ratcliffe Show. And we appreciate everyone, all the thousands of you Wahoos and other folks tuning in as you do a couple of times a week. And uh, most appreciate your support. Uh, you can find our podcast on practically every podcast venue on the planet. And uh, if you can't, let us know. We'll We'll find out where that is and I'll make it available to you. But uh, thank you for tuning in. Also, thank you for visiting our website. We're having record numbers, uh, and we appreciate your support. And our content is brought to you free, uh, thanks to our great sponsors. Uh, this podcast in particular, we want to thank the sponsors for supporting the podcast, and that's the Aberdeen Barn, the Good Feet Store, and Roback, uh, Charlottesville, there's the little logo. Uh, Roback is a, one of the fastest growing sportswear companies in America. We're based right here in Charlottesville by some Darden School graduates. And uh, we urge you to support them and, and our other great sponsors. And um, you'll be able to hear their commercials throughout our show today. So without further ado, I want to introduce our special guest today and i've been looking really forward to this interview for weeks now we've had it lined up and someone that uh i have incredible respect for and the more i research and, and learn about him the, my respect level just skyrockets uh such a a great guy and um not just a great alum but just a, a great guy in the communities that he serves and we want to welcome him aboard. Uh, we're talking about Don Flo, who is chairman of uh, and chief executive officer of Flo Automotive, um, huge car dealers in Virginia and North Carolina. Uh, I, I think I read uh, they have 50 or more dealerships in those two states. And uh, I mean, that's just incredible to me. <laughs> but, I mean, uh, who does that? <laughs> it's unbelievable. Uh, Don, thank you so much for joining us today. Hope everything is going great for you. Jerry, it's great to be here. It's a real pleasure to join you. Uh, thanks for inviting me. And for those of you not familiar with Don, uh, especially outside of his uh, incredibly successful car dealerships, um, Don is a, a UVA grad. Um Came here uh, as a football player in the mid and well, I guess the mid seventies, right? The seventy four, seventy five, seventy six, and those days freshmen weren't eligible, and so uh, uh, played football. At Virginia uh, graduated here and went on to incredible uh, success as a businessman, which we'll get into this a little bit later. But it, it will show everyone out there who's a football player or potential football player, how important an education is because uh, not everybody goes to the NFL and becomes a star like uh, Thomas Jones we had on a couple right. of weeks ago. And uh, and Thomas was tell talking about how valuable that education is because even if you do make it to the NFL, that, that career doesn't last too long usually. So it, right. Right. It, it's very important. And, uh, of course, uh, Don also had a – 
has an MBA from Wake Forest Business School and is heavily involved in both schools. Don, uh, I guess as we get started, um, I think uh, I read somewhere that when you were in high school down in North Carolina, you were the top rated running back in the state. It was, is that a, is that true? And if it is, I, I think that's overstated, but that's a kind statement for somebody <laughs> to have a memory. I appreciate memories like that. I, I played in the Shrine Bowl for North Carolina, representing North Carolina versus South Carolina. We had a, a terrific team and uh, there were a lot of great players on that Shrine Bowl game as well. Actually, uh, Marvin Powell ended up being the college hall of fame was on our team. Mickey Marvin was at, uh, uh, Tennessee, Rod Baldway, Carolina, Al Hunter, Notre Dame. We had a lot of great players on that team. So um, I was actually headed to a North Carolina school and uh, really looked at all of them. And then beyond that, some schools outside the state. And what, what turned out to be quite interesting is Gene Corrigan's brother, Jim Corrigan, was a neighbor of mine. So Jim came down one day and said, have you ever thought about going to UVA? And I said, well, actually, nobody in North Carolina goes to UVA. I don't think, you know, and he said, well, how about if I send the films up? So they sent my films up and I immediately got a call from the coaches and said, we'd love you to come visit. So I came up and visited and uh, they had it. They did a perfect job for me anyway. They had us have lunch in the rotunda. Wow. And uh, so we had lunch in the rotunda. And on one side was a faculty member named Ernie Earn, who became a lifetime friend. Uh, and still I saw Ernie uh, this spring, had dinner with him. And uh, and on the other side, they had a very attractive woman, co-ed, who was really smart and really attractive. And uh, she was very involved in the school and all kinds of things. And she was telling me all the things you get involved in. And Ernie Earn was talking to me about everything I could study there. So I called my mom and dad and I said, uh, hey, I think I'm going to go to UVA. They said, UVA, I thought you were going to go to Duke or here or there or another place. I said, I'm going to go to UVA. They said, why? I said, well. They don't think I'm stupid. I actually got to talk to a faculty member who gave me all the things I could study here. And they have good looking uh, girls here who are super <laughs> smart. And that's where I want to go. So I ended up meeting my wife there, who was an actual scholar at UVA. And we got married and we've been married for 45 years now. So that turned out okay. Yeah, so yeah, that's great. how I got the UVA. It shows you when you're 17, the things that sh shape your mind, right? You know, don't Absolutely. think I'm stupid. They've got good looking, smart girls. That's a good reason <laughs> there, right? That's a good, those are good selling points. <laughs> no question. At the Rotunda. I remember walking down the lawn and being so mesmerized by that, you know, and I was really grateful that really privileged that my fourth year I got to live on the lawn. So I kind of, it was a dream come true to imagine being able to have that experience. And uh, your great wife, Robin, that you mentioned, I I think I saw that she was a member of the track team, right? Yeah, she played uh, freshman or sub uh, freshman. I mean, played tennis her fresh first year, and then uh, she was a member of the track team after that. So I used to have fun with her because I told her for a while. I said, "I think you hold more UVA records than anybody," because every time she ran a race for the first time. She set a record because it was first year of the track team. So like, you set a record, the 100, the 200, the 400. You're awesome. So, that, that's pretty nice. That's pretty yeah. nice claim to fame for sure. Um, uh, you you played on, uh, I guess, for Sonny Randall and, and Dick Bethel. Yeah, I did. And, you know, those were tumultuous times, which was unfortunate, really, Jerry, because we had some outstanding players on our team. Yeah. We had a lot of guys. John Coleman went to NFL. Tom Glassick went to NFL. Dick Ambrose went to NFL. My first year, we had Harrison Davis and Kent Merritt. We had a really talented folks. 
But the turmoil from coaching changes really impacted our, our ability as a team. Scott Gardner, a quarterback who had many of the records at UVA for a long time. So, you know, I look at it, and it's one of the learnings I have in my own business is, you know, the, the nature of group dynamics of forming, storming, you know, kind of you got to go through before you can norm or perform again. When you're changing all the time, it's really difficult in college sports. It's difficult in business as well. So the importance of building a solid team and holding that together really matters. Yeah, no question. I, I've interviewed Scott Gardner some in the past, and uh, he he held those passing records you mentioned for years until the 90s, until guys like Sean Moore and Matt Blunden right. came along. So, he, yeah. he was a great athlete, quarterback, baseball player, big, strong, fast. You know, we had a lot of really fun athletes on the team. No question. Um, what What are your fondest memories of, of your playing days here? Well, uh, I love football. Just to be candid, I love playing football. It was just really fun. We had great uh, experiences in on the field, off the field, uh, playing together. You know, we had some uh, great games. We had some really disappointing games. Uh, my uh, second year uh, had a really nice game against Navy, I remember, and uh, I think rushed for about 100 yards. And, uh, uh, you know, we – I remember that game being uh, the excitement of like, hey, I can, you know, I can play in college football. I think I'm going to be okay, you know, play that. I remember spring games and summer and, laugh, you know, just we had great times together. Uh, we have funny stories about us all going to practice together and, you know, and complaining and laughing and, and picking on each other. We had a little group of us who remain friends today, like David Sloan and uh, Joe Srobo and Bill Copeland and Joe Jenkins. Sometimes we'd all walk together and, our own different personalities would show up. You know, Dave was very extroverted. He'd like to have a lot of conversations. Some of us like, hey, we're just walking to practice. Can we be like, be quiet, you know? And and we had fun on the together working with that. It was really a special group of friends. Uh, not too long ago, you were honored by the Virginia Football Alumni Club as, as part of their uh, Who's Making a Difference program. Uh, I, I'm actually helping publicize that with the club and uh, met some great players uh over the past that, that I had not met or have become reacquainted with. And um, what a great honor. I, they're going to, they're going to continue that at all the home games this season. But uh, what, what did that mean to you and your wife, Robin, to be recognized like that? Well, first it was incredibly kind and generous uh, from the school, from the university to do that. Uh, I will say that it was unexpected, um, but, you know, in many ways, uh, it been my dream to go to UVA and to uh, experience the entire university, develop lifelong friends there, which I was able to do. In many ways, UVA made a tremendous mark on my life. And one of the things that we learned about at UVA was about leadership in our communities and what that looks like and how we exhibit that there. And so um, to have the university recognize that uh, perhaps it's more than just being able to play football later in life, but how you give expression to what you learned there matters. And I really want to commend the university because as you mentioned earlier, Jerry, there's a very small percentage of folks who play pro football. And if they do, they get injured or they don't stay there long, you know, in real life. I mean, my fourth year, I broke my arm, the fourth game, and that was it for me. Uh, you know, but, uh, but you would say, how do you give expression to who you are later in life matters and how has football shaped us in a way that kind of enabled that to kind of be poured out. Um, 
you have a strong presence in Charlottesville uh, with your car dealerships. Uh, I, I, I've lost count. You, you, you have so many here now. <laughs> well, we bought a few more recently, so yes, we've, we've grown that quite a bit. Yeah, and uh, I think you told me you're going to be here uh, briefly to to celebrate the opening of uh, one of the new buildings, but um, you can mention that. Give yourself a plug if you'd like to. <laughs> well, well, we're, we're fortunate. We've been able to acquire and grow. We have a great team up there of leadership in the community. So we built some a bunch of new complexes. We have a lot of construction projects going on in Charlottesville right now. But I would say that uh, for us, it's exciting to be back there. So all three of my children went to UVA. I met my wife at UVA. So we have deep connections in Charlottesville. My son worked at one of our dealerships there when he graduated school. And uh, I had him go through everything uh, there and go to different dealerships. And, and then he went back to graduate business school in Northwestern and is with me now. But uh, so I had uh, when we were looking at acquiring these, uh, I would say that uh, there was a lot of encouragement from my family to say, let's make that investment. Let's do that. Well, was it also important to you just to uh, establish maybe a little bit more presence in Charlottesville just to do, due to your connection? Yeah, so we love Charlottesville. We, I've been involved there. I've been on the board of the McIntyre School of Business. Uh, I've been involved, uh, chair of the board of the Institute for Advanced Studies and Culture, which is a center from UVA. Uh, so I have a long history of relationships, which I kept them with UVA. Uh, we'd like to remain closely involved. We have a number of friends in the city as well. And for us, it's uh, always been like a second home. The whole family feels like that. So that's where we would see ourselves spending more time as time unfolds. And, and not only do you have a strong business presence and, and presence with the university itself, but um, I know that you recently had the honor of speaking to this current Virginia football team before yeah. this started. What what was your message to them, and what was it like uh, uniting with those those kids? Jerry, here's the crazy thing. I stood up there and looked out, and I said, I think this is 50 years to the day of oh. my first practice at UVA. Really? So the first thing I thought was, these guys must look out there. That is an old guy right there. <laughs> and I told him this is 50 years from the time I think I was with you. When I started, I was looking out and saying, wow, all the, my time that's unfolded in 50 years and the incredible experiences I've had and looking at these young men and thinking all their life is about to come in front of them and the journey they're on. They've got a great coaching staff. They've got folks who both believe in them and care about them. They're going to challenge them. So it was, it was a great experience. Um, I talked to them about uh, several things along the way that I think they asked me, what did you learn in football that's helped you later in life that was important to you? And you know what? And I started by talking about what I described the past shapes us, but the future needs to define us. There must be between shape and the past define us. And, you know, one of the mistakes athletes make is they get defined by their past. So nothing's worse than an old athlete who keeps talking about when they're 20 years old. But truthfully, last week doesn't matter. What matters is what I do this week in football. And so every week there's a new week. You look at it and how do you, you know, sometimes people say, you know, whatever it is, a goldfish has a 10-second memory or something like that. You know, the truth of the matter is sports, you got to do that. But later in life, you want to do that because you don't want to get stuck in your past. You want to have a vision for your future of your life, what that looks like and, and how you're going somewhere. So UVA, I did that particularly. We talked quite a bit about given the tragedy of last year, how that's going to shape all their lives without question. But it can't be that which fundamentally defines who they are as people. 
And and I said, you know, my experience in life is that when you face tragedy, it either leaves you bitter or better. And those are choices we all make when we confront those. And so how does that team do that? And does that team have a vision for their future? So that defines who they become. I, I then talked about some more specific things like, so uh, what we can never do anything alone. And and I got out some pictures. I said, like, picture this. So like, you're running back, and uh, your tackle doesn't block the linebacker. I don't care if you're Derrick Henry, <laughs> stuffed, nowhere. It just doesn't exist. You know, the reality of it is football teaches you, particularly if you're in a skilled position, you know, like Tom Brady, all his receivers got hurt last year. Mm-hmm. Turns into above-average quarterback. Maybe the best quarterback of all time who still is great. But it shows you, you know, he missed his he missed his tight end. Exactly. You know, you know that's just the reality of sports. It teaches you you are linked together. Nobody outperforms the quality of their teammates around them. Uh, then I said, you know, another thing I said that I really learned is I say there are no little people and there is no ordinary work. So I, I got up the kicker. I said, like, who's the smallest guy here? They got the kicker. I said, now give me the holder for extra point. The game's tied. You know, no time left. You're kicking for the ACC championship. Who is the most important people right now? You know, that's it. I said, all right, can they bench press more than anybody else? No, they all said no. Can they squat? No. Can they run faster? No. But in this matter, that's what matters. And any organization that's really structured like that understands there's there are no little people in the company. They all really matter. Everybody's work really matters along the way. Uh, then I, I talked about that. Uh, one of the things I learned in sports is that, uh, candidly, uh, you can always get better. Mm-hmm. You can get better. And so, you know, there's just not real. We have put limits on ourselves. But what we learn, you know, you can get up one more time, run one more sprint and get off the ground. And you can see that with football players. My wife still talks about it all the time. She's like, I can tell you're sucking it up. That's leftover football days. You just get up one more time. You can do this again. You know, whether it's you're tired, that's all right. You can study one more hour. And, you know, it's just something about that the challenge of sports teaches you the capacity to go do that. Uh, and it's remarkable where, you know, you, you do that, where you learn uh, we probably put more limits on ourselves than our actual capacity is most of the time in life. So those are some of the things we talked about. Looking for a great dining experience in Charlottesville? Look no further than the Aberdeen Barn. The barn has been family owned and operated since 1965, with Terry and Angela providing great atmosphere and mouth-watering food at Virginia's big time steakhouse. Enjoy the fine dining or relax in the Sportsman's Bar, a fantastic place to wind down and socialize, surrounded by flat screen televisions tuned to the latest sporting events. You never know who you might bump into at the Aberdeen Barn, where all the greatest Cavaliers have dined over the decades and keep coming back for the delicious menu and good times. Check it out online at AberdeenBarn.com or call 434-296-4630. Hi, it's Jonathan Cotton with the Good Feet Store. As a lifelong runner, the pain in my feet was debilitating. Finally, I went into the Good Feet Store and found the answer personally fit art supports. They helped me so much, I ran my first marathon that year. Then because I believed in the Goodfeet system so much, I bought the store. 
I am so happy to offer my hometown community the opportunity to find relief from foot, knee, and back pain. The Good Feet Store is located in the shops at Stonefield near Trader Joe's. Book your appointment today at goodfeet.com. Hey, this is Thomas Q. Jones, former UVA All-American running back, and you're listening to The Jerry Ratcliffe Show. Wahoo wah. Those are all great points, and and I'm sure it it uh, made an impact on all those kids. Uh, well, I love being with them. I love seeing them, and again, seeing out that that age is saying uh, they look fantastic. You know, they're great athletes. They're in great shape, and you know, and I, I looked out and said, I have a distant memory of what that looked like. You know, <laughs> we found my mom was cleaning out her attic. It's wonderful. My mom and dad are still alive at 94, 93. That's so they're cleaning out and stuff. And they found a picture of me when I was at UVA and one of those pictures where you're running the ball, you know, what they do for a photo op experience, you know, and I showed that to my kids. They're like, wow, that was like a long time ago, dark, bushy hair, you know, weighed about 25 pounds more than I weigh now and everything. So, you know, that's a distant memory, Uh, but a great memory. (laughs) Uh, A lot of people don't realize this, but I mean, you were one of those guys who took your education seriously. Obviously, you weren't there just to play football. Uh, you were a lawn resident and uh, a Rhodes Scholar nominee. And uh, obviously, uh, it, that had a major influence on your life, just getting uh, a great education from Virginia that you were able to carry wow. on and, and succeed. You know, Jerry, I'll tell you, at UVA, I had tremendous opportunity to, you know, take classes under incredible professors, to be challenged, to meet other students. I was in the McIntyre School of Business, uh, which, you know, is a pretty rigorous uh, curriculum. Uh, I really enjoyed that. And then I was fortunate. I went to see professors and had two professors in particular who uh, I said, I'd like to do an independent study on you, underneath you in areas that I've never studied, but I'm willing to take the risk. I did one on classical music with Dr. Mead and a particular whole subject for the summer I wanted to learn about. And he was great and and really helped me. And I learned a lot in that specific area. And one of the things he made me do, he said, uh, I still remember this. It was on, it was the seminar was on Gustav Mahler. who's a a, a musician, Austrian and, uh, I wanted to learn about his music at a particular time. And so he said, okay, you have to listen to an hour every night. You have to read all these books. Uh, you have to keep a journal of what you're hearing. And you have to learn how to play all the scales on the piano so you can hear it properly. I said, Dr. Mead, I don't know how to play the piano. He said, you'll learn. And wow. so he said, he took me down and uh, to the room they have at uh, Cabo Hall where they have pianos, gave me a little key and so you can go there and practice and learn. So I, so I know how to start it. So I'm going to teach you. So he said, I'm going to teach you how to use your right hand and then your left hand and you'll learn to play the scales. So I, I got really proud. I said, look, I can do my right hand. I said, I'm going to do your left hand. Now you're going to go up with your right, up with your left, down with your left, down with your right. You're gonna, then you're going to reverse them backwards, you know, and I'm doing this all every night, practicing, practicing, practicing. So uh, years pass. And Dr. Mead uh, turns 90 and I go back for a birthday party at his house. And uh, there was his piano. I said, you know, like 40 years have passed. I'll think about I said, Dr. Mead, look, I can still do it now. It's really? a little shaky, but I can still do it. All those things you taught me. So, you know, I just had these wonderful professors invest their life in me. I had a professor at the Darden School. Uh, I did these case studies with him, independent studies on 
leadership and things I'd learned from coaches over the years. I went to see him. His name was Alex Hornman, and he said, let's do this together. And that was, a, a, you know, a big help. And then I just uh, I loved, I'd stood friends from every walk of life, Jerry, that were kind to me along the way. And I just developed wonderful friendships from wide spectrum at UVA. And, and I still commend that for UVA. And and that's, you know, that's getting the full experience from a university. It's, it's not just it was. being um, narrowly minded and, and fixating on the sport you're playing or or whatever activity you're in. I was an honor advisor for the honor committee. Uh, helped set up the media board for the for the university when I was an undergraduate. So, and it all started with actually Gene Corrigan. Uh, I was coming off the field in the spring of my first year. And he said, come over here. And I'm like, hey, that's right, director. I'm out. <laughs> that's something wrong I don't know about, you know. <laughs> and he said, I'd like you to get involved with student government. And I said, well, you know, football coach, I think that's okay. And he said, you know, football coach works for me. I think it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> and so he said, go do go, go do this. You can do this. He said, I think you can play football and do these other things that manage all this in your life. And I want to encourage you to go do that. And so he became a uh, Gene Clark became a mentor for me and a friend. And uh, until he passed away, we stayed in touch. And it was just another one of those wonderful gifts of relationships where he would challenge me to do more and, and kind of try to expand myself. And uh, so I was really grateful for that. I truly loved Gene Corrigan, uh, everything about the man. And um, we used to have a, uh, a luncheon before COVID started out at, uh, well, started at a little place called Lord Hardwick's on yeah. yep. 29. It's no longer there. And then when they closed, we went, moved out to Glenmore where Gene lived uh, right. to the, uh, one of the restaurants in the clubhouse and Joe geek would put it together every six weeks of a bunch of uh, guys from UVA that uh, have made a difference over the years. And, uh, and some other people like Bill Millsaps and myself were there. And um, uh, Gene was, uh, I often sat beside Gene and just relished in, hearing the stories that he would tell great stories aren't there just great stories yeah, I, I miss that so much but uh yeah. what an incredible man he was and he loved people he just loved being with people he loved the university he loved UVA oh no question I, I saw him when uh that he was his last time and he was ACC commissioner at an ACC tourney game and I'd stayed to the end and really, there was nobody there left. And I saw him walking around the Greensburg Coliseum. You could tell he just wanted to relish one last moment because he just loved college sports. Yes, he truly did. Uh, and college sports, I think, is better for having you. I like him. Well, think about Look at all the uh, ADs he kind of uh, brought forth. Johnny Swafford, Ted Turner, Todd Turner, all these guys came out of his kind of tree along the way. That's right. That's right. And uh, so many coaches, too, that he yeah. influenced over the years. Um, talking about your time at UVA, I, a little birdie told me this. I, I, I assume it's a true story, but uh, when Queen Elizabeth visited Charlottesville back in the 70s, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was told that she and, and her son, who is now the King of England, um, visited the lawn and happened to end up at your room on the lawn and it's you 
showed uh, hold. Is that is that a true story? Well, it it's almost true. Uh, <laughs> almost. It was actually Queen Elizabeth and her husband, Prince Philip. Oh, okay, Prince Philip. And that for whatever reason, the university, uh, Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip uh, wanted to have two students they met and have a conversation with. And so uh, they were speaking down at Cabo Hall, looking up the lawn. Uh, they came walking up the lawn and they came into the lawn room. And uh, there were in the room was President Hereford and a, a, a woman uh, undergraduate and myself. And then Prince Philip and Queen Elizabeth. So it was really a remarkable moment at time where we stayed for quite a while. I'll, I'll tell you some funny stories out of that came out of that. But uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, we had to go to charm school effectively. We had to learn to speak to royalty, you know, like your majesty, your royal highness. You don't look at her. She looks at you. You don't touch her ever. He puts his hand out. You kind of touch it like, you know, like I'm just you don't shake their hand. That's not what you do. And, and actually, I think the crown, the TV show, the crown captured quite well both the personalities that I experienced and also uh, the way you, you engage them. They showed Tony Blair kind of managing all that. Mm -hmm. So when we were in there, uh, he asked, uh, the moment the door closed, the kind of personality that you see on the TV show, The Crown, was Prince Phillips. He became funny and a cut up and, and asked questions and said things that, you know, the, the, the queen actually hushed him up one time and told him to quit doing that <laughs> stuff. It was really hilarious. Uh, and, but she was always the queen. There was, she was the queen. He was different. But the moment the door opened again to go out, he was Prince Philip. He understood his role. Uh, she was always the queen. He, she, he understood. I got to play. I am this role when I'm in public because of what I represent. It, it was a really remarkable experience for me to understand for Queen Elizabeth. The cost for her was who she was became the queen in life. He managed somewhat to have a private self and a public self that he could kind of balance a little bit along the way. Uh, and that was, you know, took, it was a big consequence. And we've seen all that work out in the next generation where they struggle, right? How they manage all that along the way. But for, you know, a 20 year old uh, kid who was sitting in the room with Prince Philip and Queen Elizabeth and, you know, pretty amazing time along the way. And, and of course, he said to me, when you leave, hey, let me show you sometime around our home. Wow. If you come to England. And of course, my kids for years, dad, what is wrong with you? You didn't take him up on that? I said, I don't think he really meant it. Yes. <laughs> you know, but <laughs> he was very kind. What an incredible experience. I, it I was. Mean, my goodness. How many people ever get to do something like that? That's amazing. Just amazing. Well, it was a gift from the university to me. I mean, you know, it was. And they were kind to select me to do that. Um, uh, you, you built Don, uh, went back home to Winston-Salem and, and essentially built a, a business empire. Well, don't use the word empire. Okay, <laughs> okay. It could crumble any day. I mean, the reality, <laughs> but we were, we've, we've worked hard and had a lot of great people, Jerry, work with me over the years of great folks that have been with me for a long time since we were, had dark hair, as I mentioned, and we were a lot younger. Is there a, a key to your success? What kind of advice would you give to aspiring businessmen, businesswomen who would love to be in a similar seat someday? Well, uh, I would say that uh, I uh, really committed myself to 
people. And, you know, for what we, we kind of framed our company, we said, what's it mean to be a purpose-driven, people-centric, community-engaged company? What would that look like? And so when we define purpose in terms of how we engage our customers and, and our employee base to work together, what that looks like. And, and um, so we were very clear about what we wanted to do. And we kind of laid out these foundational commitments I made at a really young age and said, what would it mean to be a, have what we call a covenant of trust with our customers that we'd be a place they could always trust and believe in? What would it be like to have a community organized around a common purpose as, as a workplace and all the things we could do? And then how, we'd be how would we be committed to the common good of our cities? So that's how we built our whole company around those three basic fundamental commitments. And uh, we reorganized how we did business. Uh, we don't do business the normal way, car dealerships. We don't negotiate on prices. We put our best price. We do all these kind of promises we do that are different from typical dealerships because we thought that's what trust looks like. Uh, in our workplace, we thought about how do we invest in our people's lives long-term and build a community. So we do unusual things. We pay for the college education of all of our employees' children. Wow. 2,000 employees. So we really make a big investment in their lives long-term. We have nurses on staff full-time for employees. We have a family counseling center for employees. So if they have any personal issues, they have access to that. We're not a public company. I'd rather reinvest in our people and, and really invest in their lifetime. If our employees volunteer in their communities, we pay them their salary while they're volunteering because we consider that work. That's the same work. Go out in the community and go do that. So it's a different way of thinking about business and how we engage the work we do. And we try to think about if we were building a long-term sustainable business that added value in the communities we're in, how would we do that? And so I was young and started that really, uh, you know, with that long view in mind. And uh, I'm now really fortunate that my son, who's 38 this year, uh, will be, you know, taking my position someday. And, and he's more than qualified to take it and continue to grow it and expand it uh, with that deep kind of commitment still in place. Well, obviously that's a business model that's works and has been extremely successful. And uh, I, I think people would admire the way you've, you've done that. Well, one of the most wonderful things is we've been able to think about our communities. If you think about dealerships, we, we're local businesses. So we're embedded in our communities. So we thought about how, how do we reinvest in our communities? So we have a foundation and we allocate pretty strong amount of earnings back into our communities. And we think that, you know, education matters in communities, social services matter in communities. And so we're large participants in that because as our communities thrive, we thrive and we want to be a place that reinvest in our communities, just doesn't consume the cultural capital of our communities. And so we're fortunate to be in a lot of great cities and I spend a fair amount of time in different cities and uh, know the personalities of them. We, we like mid-sized cities that way, just like Charlottesville, there's relationships. You can know each other as opposed to going to Atlanta where you're just kind of lost in the big city. Right. Um, I, I had lunch with one of your employees uh, not long ago, and, and I said, for people in Charlottesville who haven't had the pleasure of meeting Don Flo, they just see Flo Automotive sign. Tell me something about him that, that people may not know or would like to know. And he said, he said, the man is driven. <laughs> he's incredibly <laughs> well, driven and that he's always learning. He's always trying to uh, better himself. 
and uh, he listens to people and I, I can think of much much uh, better compliments than that from from somebody that works for you well that that's really kind to say you know Jerry one of the things that I tried to do is it's kind of a discipline in my life I, I think in four categories and people who work with me are used to hearing this and I look at it on a weekly monthly basis kind of like so what do we want to preserve? What, what, what have we been doing with excellence we want to keep doing? Just like what you've been doing. How do I keep that up? And, and we know that if we don't keep at it, it will deteriorate over time, right? So you got to keep at it. What am I doing that, that I need to do better? Where do I need to improve? Uh, thirdly, what do I need to do new that I haven't been doing that I need to try? We'll call that innovate. And then what do I need to eliminate? What have I been doing that really doesn't add value anymore, I shouldn't be doing it. So we, we call that preserve, improve, innovate, eliminate. And I, the elimination, I, I describe it like this. When Rob and I first got married, we got a Christmas tree. And all we had was like a little star at the top. That was all that's on the tree. Like 45 years later, you can't even see that tree anymore. It's got so much stuff on it, lifetime stuff, right? right? So that's how much of us work about our lives. We need to say, do we need to take some things off so we can be freed up to do new things? Just like you're doing a podcast. I bet there was a time in your life you didn't think you'd do a podcast. Absolutely not. <laughs> that I need to try something new, right? I need to go try that. So that discipline of asking ourselves all the time. And so the people who work around me are used to hearing that all the time. We talk about the difference between, for instance, running out of gas in a car, running out of fuel in a plane. There's like a big difference. And yeah. I tell them, look, uh, this side of heaven, no one's going to be perfect. So we're going to run out of gas in cars. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to learn from those, we're going to improve from those all the time. Now, running out of fuel in a plane, I want to be involved because that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. But the rest of the stuff is just normal life. That's where you learn, you grow, you keep getting better all the time and you try and do things. So that's how we try to, that's our culture along the way. And, and yes, uh, uh, we talk about uh, we want to be a place that's both high caring and high challenge. So we want to be both. Uh, just like I learned in football, right? Mm. You got to care about your teammates, but you got to try all the time. You know, you can't have a time where you just sit it out. When you sit it out in sports, you get on the bench. So, you know, and that's what people are used to me. And I'm sure that whoever that person was, they're used to that experience around me too. Yeah. I, I have, I have found and, and have shared this with a lot of people over the years that, that sports teaches you so many great life lessons that like you just mentioned that that helps you succeed in, in whatever field you, you choose, whatever path you go down. So, uh, uh, I, I, Brent, you mentioned a memory. Here's one right now where you got to learn for change. So we're playing Maryland. I still remember this Randy white. Do you remember that name? The man time all American, you know, fantastic man. So that's right. <laughs> so we're, I'm a tailback. We're running at him. I'm like, coach, this is not working. Can we go the other way? <laughs> He's unblockable. <laughs> I've watched him knock our guy down. Let's just, you know, let's learn from this and go the other way. <laughs> you learn that lesson in a real period. Yeah, really quickly when you're running back. <laughs> yeah. I, I got hit so hard. Uh, my Robin, when I'm dating her, she comes out out of the football locker room, out by, you know, what was called Scott Field, where we played then, everything, you know. And I've got a neck brace on. I like, she said, what's wrong? I said, oh, man, I can't move my neck. It's killing me. It's homecoming. We didn't move too much that night homecoming. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you haven't run into Randy White since then. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> he would probably like that story, though. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah no question. I, I hope a lot of young people are listening to this and uh, pick up some great 
advice from Don and uh, some life lessons as well. And uh, what an incredible life story, Don. I mean, uh, somebody should write a book about you, man. <laughs> I tell you. Oh. <laughs> it's got enough about that. Thanks, Jerry. Um, but you bet you look at your life story. Look at all the stories and people and relationships you've known at UVA. And you've seen all these athletes unfold in every sport along the way. It's pretty remarkable. If you go back and look at, you know, UVA's athletes and how we've emerged. You know, when I first went there, it was the first generation of African-American athletes there. Right. You know, and I'd come from a school that was fully integrated. So it was, a, you know, for me, it was that was a normal experience for kids. Everybody's going through that in the 70s. You see how the university's unfolded now to be a much more diverse place. And it's just a great experience. We have a, a former player, Tyron Lewis, who works for us. Who leads yeah. up our training and development right. for all of our company. And Ty, I've known Ty since he was 15 years old. Wow. Uh, wow. So he came to work for me washing cars when he was in high school and doing work along the way and ended up going to UVA and doing great at UVA and uh, played pro football for a little while, played pro baseball for a little while and, and came back to work with us and has a great job with us and does a fantastic job. And, you know, we uh, talk all the time about look at all the players, how their lives have unfolded, look at the network of relationships there. And I love that UVA is now beginning to really work under Coach Elliott to say, how do we bring back alumni to engage with players and and kind of be with them you know previously under ncaa there's so many complications you know i couldn't take person out to breakfast really so you know now there's more openness to say how could we engage in mentor relationships and give uh younger folks you know kind of a picture about what they could do with their lives yeah you're right uh, and you're right about my career too i've been truly blessed to uh, have been around all the great coaches and, and players and, and other folks at UVA since I got here in 1982 and even outside of UVA, all around the ACC and right. sports and some pro sports. Um, I mean, you've been there in, so, in terms of so many iconic names. Think about Valvano, Dean Smith. I mean, the amount of coaches and folks and different personalities have been around the ACC. It's really remarkable. It really That's is. why I was so pleased to see us work like crazy in the last couple of weeks to pull together a plan to keep the ACC moving forward as a conference. I mean, I know that folks are like, wow, Stanford, Cal, how's all that work together? Well, the ACC needed to put something in place to ensure that it's got a, a roadway, a runway for going forward. And this will certainly give us the time. And then, Kenley, nobody knows exactly what's going to happen the next 10 years, right? We right. certainly learned. But we know that we at least have the, the building blocks in place to be able to uh, really be in charge of our own destiny as opposed to being whipped around and knocked around by not, not be having a, a, a rudder that can guide us. Yeah, I agree. I think that was a strong move by the ACC, something that they needed to do. And it took some courage to make it. Up. And, uh, but I think it, it helps secure the future and makes the conference more stable and right. perhaps, perhaps, and you know, some other people happy. <laughs> right. And, you know, President Ron played a leadership role in all of this, a really yeah. important leadership role in sustaining this, bringing everybody together. Everybody had different points of view, different interests along the way. And, and I can imagine what it's like to shepherd university presidents and chancellors to a common point of view. But he did a great job with that and really made a difference. That was a challenge in itself. <laughs> no question about yep. it. Yep. Trying to get 15 people to agree on anything is, is a challenge, but uh, yep. particularly something of that 
major yep. consequence, that's for sure. Um, but, uh, wow, it's been so great spending some time with you this afternoon, Don. Um, an invaluable story, I think, for any of our listeners out there or, or those who watch us on YouTube for the video portion of the show. And uh, just just what a great story and what an inspiration, I think, to uh, well, the young times. athletes of Virginia because they look at you and they say, well, well, you know, I, I, I can follow his footsteps and, and try to be successful in life. I, I think it's just an incredible story. Well, I promise you they can't. I mean, that, that is the wonderful thing. Uh, there, any athlete at UVA uh, has worked hard to go through UVA. They've applied themselves along the way. They've built a network of relationships that really matter, and they can take all those lessons learned, and those opportunities will be there for them. And stay connected to the UVA network of friends and, and, and things will unfold for them. And so I just am so grateful for my relationship to UVA, grateful for all the people that poured their lives into my life. In many ways, I am a product of the relationships that helped shape me, Jerry, there. And I see it worked out all the time. Well, it's, it's, it's been a, a great, great path and a great story. And I thank you for sharing it with us. I know it's going to inspire a lot of people watching this or listening to this. And uh, hopefully we'll see you sometime not right. too far down the road. Yeah, uh, look forward to doing that. I know Thanks so much. The, thank you. I know you've got uh, other stuff on your agenda today. So, um, again, thanks for taking the time. We appreciate it. And uh, uh, best wishes. We'll see you soon. My privilege. Thanks so much, Jerry. Good to be with you today. Thank you.